I don't know, Yost, if you've listened to our previous uh, weekly hook episodes, uh, but Chris doesn't has no idea what we're going to talk about today. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So we tend we try to leave it as a surprise, um, a so that he doesn't prepare ahead of time. <laughs> um, but B, you know, we like to mix it up a little bit. We have so much of our future serially hooked content mapped out already that it's nice to keep it fresh sometimes, you know? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I've heard other people do that as well. Isn't there a podcast where they, um, yeah, they, one of them tells a crazy news story and the other one has to kind of slowly figure out what it is about? I'm sure there is. Well, as we've learned that there there is a podcast for everything. <laughs> You know, I was a little bit nervous uh, about this this podcast. I'm not sure whether I mentioned to you, Rashad, because, uh, well, I'll, I guess I'll start cluing in Chris a little bit about what it's about. But um, it reminds me a little bit of when I was uh, 10, 11 years old. And in primary school, we had to give a talk in front of the class. And everybody had to write down the subjects a couple of weeks beforehand. You know, what are you going to talk about? They would say, well, I'm going to talk about cats. I'm going to talk about birds of prey. You know, everybody put their topic on there. And I I remember I really wanted to talk about Pokemon. And <laughs> I, 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 I wrote down, I was so enthusiastic about it. It was the thing that was kind of like the main thing in my life at that point, you know. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be so much fun. I have so much to, to, to talk about. And then... What happened was people saw that I wrote down Pokemon. This is the type of age, you know, people start bullying you for not being grown up enough, even though you're 11. And said, so, oh, that's so childish. You're going to talk about something like Pokemon. And all my enthusiasm just faded away. And then the day came that I have to give this talk, in this case about Pokemon. And I was just standing there in front of the class and it gave the worst talk ever. Well, I mean, you're 11 years old. How good can your talk really be, right? <laughs> But yeah, I just felt so incredibly sad that, you know, that you apparently is, there are things you can't talk about and be taken serious. So I think video games is a little bit in that category, isn't it? That there's still like societal pressure that, you know, it's not really serious. It's childish and it's something you shouldn't talk about. So that, that 11 year old self, you know, is still hanging over this conversation. <laughs> wow so we're, we're healing some childhood trauma today this is a safe space so that's great that's, that's the healing i'm for yeah <laughs> i mean you're joining a podcast where we talk about an animated show for an entire year yeah. so you're in you're in good hands <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy to hear that yeah. <laughs> and i guess without further ado we should clue chris in on what we'll be speaking about hmm. And you kind of alluded to video games, and we'll be speaking about what is, in my opinion, the greatest fighting video game ever made, <laughs> Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> nice. Have, uh, have, you played, have you played Super Mario Smash Brothers, Chris, or is this completely alien to you? I, ha I think I have played it with Rashad uh, when we were still living in the same place. Like yes, two or three times maybe. <laughs> you didn't take to it as much as you did to Mario Kart, I will say. 
no, no. I think I think it was just uh, there was obviously quite a, a skills imbalance between the two of us because you've been training at this your entire life, and I was very new to it. So I think it's it's more fun if people are roughly at the same level. Maybe that was part of it, but I think I still enjoyed it. Uh, that's not the issue. But I think Mario Kart is just such a staple of my childhood that that just gives me a lot of enjoyment as is. So you're saying you'd rather be beat at Mario Kart than be beat at Smash? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a nice way of putting it. Thank you. Uh, Have we played that much Mario Kart? I'm not sure. Yeah, quite a bit. Really? Yeah, and not not too much, obviously, but uh, whenever you'd come over, uh, we'd play. Okay, yeah. I mean, I don't play that many video games, so my it's it's fine. I could beat you at like uh, board games any time, but we've never <laughs> played that probably due to that reason. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I haven't played video games in a long time. So, but I mean, I am I am not one of these people who thinks. Video games are just for children. I think the genre has been on a very good trajectory, uh, being taken more seriously as it deserves. Yeah, I'm glad you say that. My partner actually does a PhD in video games, so she should be the one actually in this seat today. But uh, <laughs> she actually also has a sense of humor, which is works better on a podcast. But you have to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad to have you. We're glad to have yeah, you. Absolutely. But it's quite interesting to say about Mario Kart and Super Smash Brothers because if most party games that you can play on a Nintendo system, Mario Kart, Mario Party, they're designed for people across all skill levels to enjoy together because what they often have is they have these mechanics where if you're very far ahead in a race, then there will be things that will slow you down, you know, or there are things in the game that allow you to kind of you know, be boost your ability a little bit. But Super Mario Smash Bros. is a little bit different in that, isn't it? That it is pure skill. There aren't really in-game mechanics that try to pull you back the moment you're ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is often hard for uh, people just to casually enjoy a game of Super Smash Bros. as one of them has played it for its whole life. Well, the only, you know, caveat to that is the, you know, the items that people sometimes play with casually. So some of the items can create a semblance of randomness into the game. And obviously when you're playing competitive Smash, that doesn't factor in at all. Hmm. But sometimes it's just in a party game mentality, you know, spamming the the game with, you know, little bomb bombs or hammers or whatever to just make things go crazy is a way to sort of even the playing field somewhat. But you can then choose the extent to which you'd like to do that and then the sort of different modalities of the game itself, whether or not you're doing it casually or, you know, a serious competition. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Just the idea of competitive Smash is just... That that just goes to show that you're on a whole another level from me, Rashad. <laughs> Well, no, Yost is on a much level, different level than I am, a much better level than I am. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, uh, well, it's it's mostly because I play almost every day. Uh, yeah, but nice. Rashad told me that he used to visit tournaments in the United States as, as a visitor, but his friends were actually playing professionally. And I've mm. never done anything like that. 
Well, I feel like there's just, you know, when you look at the breadth of Smash, as, as popular as it is around the world, it has its largest foothold in, you know, Japan and North America. So I, I would imagine that there are just more Smash tournaments in the United States as compared to here. But I'm not entirely sure whether that's true or not. That's just an yeah. educated guess. Yeah, I went to a Smash tournament once and I think it was in my hometown and maybe uh, just to clue people in a little bit. So Super Mario, Super Mario Smash Bros. is a fighting game series on the Nintendo and it had a few iterations. So it started with, uh, well, Super Mario Smash Bros., which you could play on Nintendo 64. It came out in 1998. And it was a popular game, but uh, it wasn't as successful as the next iteration, which was Super Smash Bros. Melee. And the best. That was that, according to a lot of people, that is the best one, and that's the one that really got me hooked at the time. But when this came out, this was 2002, and people didn't really play games online as much, at least as I'm aware, uh, and, and definitely not on GameCube because it wasn't really supporting like an online. Uh, competitive mode but also this was a time without youtube you know so you wouldn't be looking online and see how other people play the game so you often you start playing the game with yourself and with other friends and you learn within that little bubble um so you go to a tournament and then you know play with other people and they might play a little bit differently but you don't really get to see how other people play and then i skipped the next two super mario smash brothers game and i got back into it with the most recent one Super Mario, Smash Bros., uh, yeah, Super Mario Smash Bros. Ultimate, which was released a couple of years ago. And I started looking online, and then you suddenly realize that you've been playing the game wrong all the time. That there's all these things you can do, ways to play, techniques to do, and you suddenly make this massive leap forward, you know, in scale. And it's all supported by the internet, and suddenly you're not in your own little isolated bubble anymore of scale. So I thought that's quite an interesting development in, I guess, competitive games in general, that suddenly you can actually uh, step outside of your bubble and, and, and learn from other people, which I never used to do in the first time I used to play it. Yeah, that reminds me. That I am going to do an episode of The Weekly Hook in the future about a video game series that I had been playing for more than a decade. And that when I first saw people playing uh, that game, uh, like on on YouTube and the skill level they had, it was just it blew my mind. Like you can do that, <laughs> you know. It's just <laughs> funny to compare compare yourself and see what is possible in a game. Um, so yeah, and the community aspect and all of that, I can definitely relate to. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what makes these games most fun. You know, it's, it it kind of becomes almost a puzzle. You know, because you know, as most mm. fighting games, uh, you have. Uh, a bunch of characters uh, in the most recent one. You have more than 80 characters, and each character is, is completely unique. And learning to play the game is basically a puzzle of trying to figure out, okay, you know, for this character, what attack, you know, is most effective at what point in the game. So in the game works, like for those who do not know, is you build up a certain percentage. Uh, so every time you hit a character, the percentage of that character goes up. So it will blow further away if you hit it. So it knocks back further if you, um, and, and how, you know, um, part of the fun is, is trying to figure out the puzzle of how to play each character. Because there's so many characters in the game, you can, uh, you know, you can spend months learning how to play a certain character. And it's about, you know, uh, what move hits into the next move, you know, and 
what combinations of attacks work at what percentage or what character. So it becomes a bit of a puzzle that you're trying to solve. And I think that's really a very fun part of the game. And one of the things, though, I think that Smash did really intelligently in in terms of gameplay, it actually simplified the entry level for controls, right? When you think of other fighting games, they're much more intricate, the the, the techniques that you can use. Um, But Smash is a very much, you know... When you, the combinations that you can string together get complicated and understanding how one co- one hit leads into the next and what is the best for each individual character, that's the level of complexity. But the, you know, the varying range of tech, uh, attacks are actually a lot smaller when you compare it to something like Mortal Kombat or even Soul Calibur. These moves that you are, you have to like press the D-pad in this five different ways right before you hit the button. And it ends up being a lot more complicated than something like uh, Smash, actually. So the bar to entry, I feel like, is a little bit lower, which then widens the scope for the potential people to actually play Smash and then get into it, into the nitty gritty, as as you said, the online community behind it has flourished in the recent years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you have all these fighting games that are very sweaty, where you have to, as you say, pass press 10 buttons simultaneously and, and do a backflip uh, while you press the buttons and and you do the punch slightly differently and it almost becomes more of a motor skill, you know, of being able to put your hand in a certain way in order to do the thing you want to do. Um, and But yeah, I think, and, and it also the whole atmosphere, you know, of a Super Mario universe where different characters beat each other up. It's just, I mean, it's just hilarious. And because, you know, you have all these other party games with Super Mario. You always play us- with the usual suspects. You know, you have Mario, Luigi, and, and Kirby, and Yoshi, and you go karting or something, or you play some other kind of party game. But when Super Mario first came out, they kind of, uh, Super Mario Smash Bros. first came out, they kind of broke away from that by including all these other characters that weren't in any kind of crossover game before. So the first game had characters, well, Pokemon characters, for example, you know, which I alluded before in the podcast. And suddenly you could play with Pikachu and beat up Mario. Or in later iterations, you even started including third-party characters from, for example, Metal Gear Solid, which is not a Nintendo game at all. And apparently the creator of Metal Gear Solid, he had a son, and he asked, the uh, the creator of Super Mario Smash Brothers, like my son, really wants to have Snake, the main character of Metal Gear Solid, in the Super Mario Smash Brothers game, and lo and behold, the uh, creator of Smash Brothers included him. So now suddenly you play with Mario against this very human-like character of Snake that throws grenades and shoots rockets at yeah Pikachu, and and that type of crossover is so hilarious. And also makes that Super Mario Smash Brothers is more than just a fighting game. It's a, um, it's it's an it's a archive of video game history. You have video game characters across all kind of platforms, and it's not just the video the characters that you can play. But in Super Mario Smash Brothers, you also have spirits, which are little characters that you can add to your character to make it stronger. And they have a fifteen hundred of them, and they span the whole history of video gaming. For example, you have you can make your own character, a me character, and you put a different skin on them, and you can play as the Assassin's Creed character. Uh, I think his name is Enzo or something. Um, uh, and 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 suddenly you can play with an Assassin's Creed character and beat up Mario, you know. 
and it's not just an archive it's also a hall of fame you know of of, of all the characters that were uh, well known enough to to get in, get in there so it's so much more than a fighting game it's really an ode to video games i couldn't have said it better myself <laughs> that's why you're also on here <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's when the few times that I have played it, that's uh, something that I really enjoyed, you know, have this like very diverse cast of characters. Only in a game like that can you have a like a four-way fight between Samus, Link, Snake and Pikachu, you know? And that is just something you always have these different ideas of what would be like who would defeat whom in a in a battle of these two entities um recently something that i heard about is this like almost internet meme of uh you know what what's what is it like knights versus samurai or whatever and there is this video game series called for honor that came out a few years ago that yeah. is basically you have like three factions like samurai uh knights and vikings and they just like you, you just battle each other and that is kind of the kind of logical game game conclusion of this meme And so I always like it when games mix that up. Yeah, different universes and combine them and see what happens. Yeah. Exactly. You have another one in that series is is another video game I used to play a lot when I was younger. It's a, it's a strategy game. Uh, you might have heard of Age of Empires, which is mm -hmm. a series of strategy games where you have to build buildings, create new units, and you send them to other units to fight. You had one game in the series was called Age of Mythology. And in this game, it was all about pleasing the different gods. So you had the Greek gods, you had the Norse gods, and you had the Egyptian gods. And all these different gods had to fight each other. And this is, again, like, I suppose a crossover in mythology. And, yeah, it's kind of cool because, you know, oh, what would happen if Thor had to fight Zeus or uh, <laughs> Isis or... Uh, uh, Isis is a bit of a weird word now to, to use. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just, just just reminds me of a site topic. Just very quickly, I had a friend of mine um, who I worked in a committee with, and uh, and she and I completely forgot her name. I couldn't remember what her name was, and I was walking down the street, and I, I've been working with this woman for such a long time, and I had to look it up. And this was like 2015, and I looked her up her name. It was Isis, and I just completely blocked that name out of my memory as as from the list of possible names you know that's yeah. not a name anymore so i just couldn't remember it anymore because i just blocked it out as a possible name <laughs> yeah i guess i guess it goes right on the list next to adolf of like names you can't live give your children anymore yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's very unfortunate because it's a beautiful name yeah. <laughs> i mean at least isis is adolf maybe not so much yeah no i've never liked that one <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but how how did you two this do you remember the first time you played the game uh yes well i was playing at my neighbor's house who had a nintendo 64 before i did and it was the first version where you just have uh 12 characters and yeah we used to play it i don't remember it really well because this is you know 23 years ago but I loved it. But the great thing is about Super Mario Smash Brothers is that the series is also an ode to itself. You can play all the stages from previous series, you know, and they haven't updated the graphics at all, you know, for, for nostalgic reasons. So you still have these 
2D sprites in the background at certain stages from the Nintendo 64. So you can still kind of relive these uh, childhood memories from, you know, when you were uh, nine years old and, and you're playing it for the first time. Yeah, I, I have to say, so with some video game series like uh, Pokemon, let's, let's, let's take Pokemon as an example, uh, which is something that I used to play quite a lot. Uh, I actually prefer the older versions in terms of graphic and also the music. I really like the like old graphics and the like eight bit music. And I and I know now that they have been like rearranged with actual orchestras. It's still the same music in terms of melody and all that. But I don't know. I I still have such a nostalgic hit of of those old things. Um, so yeah, I definitely I definitely see the appeal there. That's so interesting, isn't it? There, there are two things there. Is that they often try to modernize older games, and they often just miss the mark. So, I recently started, um, well, maybe a half a year ago, I, I got the new Pokemon game called Sword and Shield for the Switch, mm. and I hadn't played a Pokemon game in a long time. You know, the earlier Pokemon games, you always play from you see the character from up top, you move around along a a a grid basically and it's quite simple mm. you run to the grass you run to a pokemon you catch it you train it you fight it and you win the gyms and that was the whole appeal of it you know of getting like uh, a pokemon and training and everything but then this recent game you suddenly have like a th uh, kind of a third person view on the character the world is a lot richer it looks better but for some reason it didn't work as well for me you know first of all maybe the nostalgia wasn't there for me anymore but also for they made the game so much more beautiful but they forgot about some simple mechanics you know of just the enjoyment of catching a low level pokemon and, and leveling it up where at some point in the game suddenly all pokemons you catch are already at level 60 so to make it yeah. easier for you so you don't have to go through the process of training them completely and it's just so disappointing you know they try to modernize <laughs> these things and it just doesn't work and it's not just video games by the way it's it's also disney you know, I might say something controversial here, but you have that the Lion King movie where the original was animated. And I'm sure a lot of people feel nostalgic towards the animated version. And now you have the CGI version where suddenly you have real lions, you know, mm. the, the whole uh, love's in the air tonight, you know, and it's like looking at the Discovery Channel uh, documentary about lions. <laughs> and it just doesn't work. They think it's, it's everything is better if we just make everything super realistic. But there's actually beauty in the animated series. You can actually not ma really make a, a real-life lion smile. You can't read emotions on a lion face because it's, it's a lion. Whereas in the animated series, because it's kind of in that boundary of um, non-realism, is you can make it do things that a real lion can't do and you can actually empathize with the animated character so much more so i think like the the movie industry as well as the game industry just often gets it the wrong way around they don't really understand what made the game successful and they just do the simple thing of just improving the graphics and uh and, and thinking that that makes everything better to tread. I mean, Rashad and I talk about Star Wars on Serially Hooked all the time, and that's definitely a franchise that has suffered from that exact problem. Like, it's kind of the the look is modernized, but uh, let's say maybe the creators 
didn't really understand what the fans liked about it. Mm. And that that resulted in the prequels and other things. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. But going back to, to the game, actually, Rashad, do you remember the first time you played it? Um, yes and no. So, yes, I have a memory that is an early memory of Smash, and I'm not sure if it was the first time I ever played it, right? So mm. I'm just going to go with the story. And it was playing Smash on the N64 in my uncle's house. It was a large family gathering. Think... 60 70 people in the house it's quite large of a house and we escaped from the large morass of older people and ran up to my cousin's bedroom in which we played super smash brothers for three hours maybe and i think you know thinking to myself oh my god this is absolutely amazing i love this and it was the first time i you know i was a kid and there's no strategy behind it you just run around with pikachu and down b everywhere that's like thunder is it thunderbolt or thunder i'm not sure which thunder yeah i imagine you'd be thundering everywhere yeah um it's it's just a fun uh thing to do as a as a nine-year-old and as you frustrate your older cousin as he tries to actually do something but that's definitely the first memory I have. And then I actually had never bought it for N64 because um, I didn't get an N64 until later after I had already had a GameCube. But at the point where I bought a GameCube and bought Melee, I was hooked and that was it. And I, I think I played exclusively Melee from... I think Melee was released in 2001 and I played it exclusively until 2012 or 13. And I just ignored the existence of Brawl, which had come out in 2008 for the Wii, until I graduated college, maybe. And it was just a fun game. It's just such an intricate game and had so much depth to it and fun like mechanics. And, you know, I was enthralled from the beginning and I, was, I refused to let go. <laughs> and even till today, like, if you think about most professional Smash players they still use a GameCube controller, a wired GameCube controller for whenever they play Smash. It it's just goes to show how that game, specifically Melee, set the standard for Smash until, you know, for the next 20 years of its existence. Yeah, I remember when you came over a shot, you were very upset that I didn't have a GameCube controller for you to play. So I gave you this, like, what I thought was a very modern controller, a, a professional nintendo switch controller thought i thought he would be very happy with it but he was very disappointed so, <laughs> i'm like where so, are my wires i need this to be wired and plugged in <laughs> but don't, don't you like playing with the switch controllers rashad because i think that's what we played on when i was at your place that was so that i uh nerf myself <laughs> okay yeah. but but that also didn't help me because i couldn't use the like gamecube I, controller I couldn't like no. I I did, just didn't know how to handle the Switch controller because I had never played on the Switch before. Yeah, fair enough. So actually, um, it it came it came like to bite me in the back. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely interesting how there's such such nostalgia wrapped around this game until today, mm. and it goes into every single aspect of it. For example, they created a specific. GameCube controller branded with a, as a Smash controller for the Switch. Mm. Right? It has the Smash logo on it and they built peripherals that are meant to plug in uh, a game like four GameCube controllers just like you could in a GameCube into the Smash. 
and you can even argue that the fact into the that switch into the switch switch sorry <laughs> um that's a Freud, it's a good Freudian slip yeah <laughs> and i mean for for decades or for years my friends and i would just buy the new nintendo console and just call it a smashbox that's the only mm-hmm. reason i bought a wii and the only reason i bought a wii u <laughs> play smash nice. i eventually did buy other games for it but the rationale is yeah. i'm buying this to play smash mm. this is a 200 dollars or 300 dollars sunk cost to play smash and then any other game is a benefit to it yeah. there are i mean that's kind of the strategy for all these console uh manufacturers right you have these big games that make people buy the console like breath of the wild or like you know the huge i don't know even like gta in a way in a way uh and all or these even th- things like the i think when remember that when that spider-man exclusive came out for ps4 was it mm. great game yeah that was also like a you know this these console exclusive games are a huge mm. draw for people to buy certain games right yeah and yeah animal crossing for nintendo switch is like a great example which yeah. you know oh, just yeah. got a whole new market of you know mostly female uh video gamers who just at the start of pandemic just mm-hmm. needed a way to escape into their little island and, and build their own <laughs> little community of people and you just see the shares of nintendo just skyrocketing at the start of the pandemic that game did a lot of good things for the mental health of millions of people during the pandemic for sure absolutely yeah and if you think about the pandemic like the switch was kind of perfect when it comes to the timing because it was at the time of the pandemic the most modern of the consoles or the most the console to have most recently come out mm-hmm. and and they weren't mired by supply chain issues and any of the stuff there it was established already as a video game because i mean ps4 or, sorry ps5 and x the new xbox i forget xbox x sorry um that goes to show my console preferences <laughs> um, they, they've both been out for the past six months but it's almost impossible to get your hands on one of those consoles versus the switch which already had been in production for a long time even came out with the switch Lite at the at near the beginning of the, the pandemic it sort of just became the game for everyone or the, mm. became the console for everyone it became the pandemic console every once in a while i feel very sad that i'm not into gaming anymore I have to admit, but I can't. I can't get into back into it, unfortunately. So, <sighs> so I, I'm very curious to hear from you, Chris, why that's the case. Because I, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, I feel this anxiety about video games, which I've always had. You know, even when I had the Nintendo 64, I always felt guilty if I bought a video game. When I had the GameCube, mm-hmm. I always felt guilty when I bought a video game. I had to kind of rationalize myself to a way that I deserve to buy a video game. So my whole life, I I got a console and I only had three games on it, max for like the five years I had it. And it's only recently that my girlfriend is in video games that I feel somewhat, somewhat legitimized to actually play video games and I feel that I, it's something I can do. But what is for you, Chris, that made you stop video playing video games? Um, so... Partly it was because I started to uh, take my studies really seriously and I just, you know, I was very much uh, had a tunnel vision of like, this is the most important thing right now. And then I um, injured one of my eyes 
which means that to this, and now it's kind of a chronic condition that I can't look at screens that much. Uh, otherwise, it just hurts a lot, uh, which uh, also yeah makes like watching movies and shows and playing games and also working for like you know because most of the work that you know let's say I would be uh, like would be available to me is on and for a lot of people probably nowadays is in front of screens so i have to be very careful what i choose to spend my time with in terms of screen time because i can't be in front of screens uh 24 7 otherwise i would just be in pain all the time and that's not something that i aspire to uh no that makes a lot of sense so yeah you got a very set amount of time you can spend on screens and you have to take that very uh, <laughs> very carefully what you're gonna spend it on yeah although otherwise i think you know i i have had times where i really got into back into it despite my my aforementioned focus on studies i had like maybe you know times where i was really really getting back into a specific game for three to six months but i can't mm. do that anymore unfortunately yeah, um, yeah no i understand i wonder if that's a blessing in disguise for you chris it is. I wasn't going to say it, but it kind of is sometimes. I wonder, like, it's interesting, Yost, that you brought up the guilt associated with video games. And I, I feel it as well. And I think it's just, it goes back, at least for me, when you think of your parents sort of yelling at you to get off the video games and this is bad for you. It's melting your brain. Those kinds of arguments that are made from a young age. And from societal perspective, it's like a video game is a waste of time from a certain perspective and you should be doing productive things with your life and it's kind of sad that that's how it's framed for so many people and so many people live with that guilt and low-key shame of enjoying video games yeah but i think it goes back to something that Joost was saying in the beginning that if you spend a lot of time doing it in a in a kind of serious manner as uh you know you do um, it's about you know figuring things out and honing your skills, and I think that's something that uh, like on a meta level is something that you know is like very much accepted. It 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 just comes you know where you apply this to, and unfortunately, video games for the longest time have been seen as a waste of doing that, and then kind of a waste of time. I don't know. Correct me if I wrong if I'm wrong, but at least in my perception this this has kind of slightly started to change maybe it maybe video games have become a little bit more accepted in that regard but maybe that's just because of the bubble that i'm in yeah i always feel that divide between me and my partner where i often enjoy video games that where the enjoyment comes out of honing a skill mm. you know so uh i had to laugh a little bit chris when you said that i'm a serious player <laughs> i think if some of my friends will hear this podcast they'll they'll laugh at that because I'm, I'm not actually good at super mario's Brothers at all or any video game just just to be clear but what i enjoy is like that honing the skill part of a video game figuring it out and also i'm quite a competitive person so i do like that competition element whereas my partner you know who uh, is also very into video games, but the kind of video games that she's into is, I suppose, in a different category that are about narrative and story. And, and that's what she is interested in. And she sometimes makes this distinction and she has two very 
fancy words for it, which I've forgotten completely. But it comes down to video games that are kind of more hedonistic, I suppose. And you can maybe think of, yeah, maybe Smash Smash Brothers falls in that category. Mm. Or video games that you play that is actually a tough experience to play. It's like watching a difficult movie or reading a hard book, you know, or that it, it takes effort to play it and to get through it. And, but there's a reward at the end, you know, something like a, a great conclusion to a story or a, a great um, morale, you know, that's that's hidden somewhere in that story. And that's, I think now media, video games are maturing. I think those kind of video games have become very accepted. And the, the people who used to make video games 20 years ago, maybe it might have been 18, 19, 20-year-old men. And these people have grown up now. They have children. And, and that has meant that the stories have matured as well. And I think that has been a very good thing for the video game industry to make those kind of games at least more accepted uh, and on par with with movies and, and books even, perhaps. Mm, but I feel like, I don't know, I, I get the distinction that your partner has applied to that, but I don't know. I feel like, you know, uh, the types of games that you're into are, you know, you, maybe you the payoff isn't, like the the narrative conclusion that is so satisfying but i don't know i guess your payoff is just joy of uh you know being in the like exactly doing these these things of honing your skills so i i think you know there there are different types of games for different personalities maybe i think uh, not even that you know i, th I think one is not better than the other I, I, I definitely don't don't try to imply that at all like i'm not trying to be like the snob you know because look i i'm mostly playing games like smash brothers and stuff and, and that's what i really enjoy and and it's great because you get into that flow state you know and mm -hmm. that's just so amazing after a day of work to be able to distract and just get yourself lost in a game and just get into the flow state of, of playing i don't know super smash brothers any kind of game you want to play and i think that's great and it's still sad that yeah this is being looked down upon i think in society um, and a lot of people don't understand, you know, the people will go and play a game of tennis, you know, but the, the point is the same is you're honing a skill and try to get into that flow state and you might get frustrated and throw your racket on the ground, you know, just like you might yell at yourself or the opponent during <laughs> online game of smash. But, um, yeah, no, I definitely didn't mean to say that one is better than the other, but yeah, it's, it might be an interesting distinction about this distinction. I was I, I definitely fall in the same camp as Yoast. I definitely prefer the skill building things, but for me it's often just a repetitiveness. I'm just like I can turn off my brain and just focus on this one specific micro skill, right? I remember going as I was going through and beating the most recent Mario Kart and when you especially when you get to like 200 CC and you're trying to finish these these courses, it's basically a cross between memorization and and muscle memory where you figure out, okay, I know what turns are coming up. I have to do this, this, and this, and this, and I have to hit it right at this angle. And that like nuanced pers uh, precision is definitely something that I enjoy and just having to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Um, that's def definitely, you know, I definitely fall on that end. And, you know, there doesn't, I mean, as you said, it's not one is not better than the other. It's just different types of type, different types of consumption. And just because they are done through a similar medium, doesn't mean that they should be grouped in the same category. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Talking about Mario Kart, um, 
I just, uh, I just went, I just went back to the Netherlands. I mean, out in the Netherlands uh, for the first time in a year, and I, I normally live in the UK. And I brought my Switch with me, and uh, I just ordered two extra controllers from Amazon. Sorry, Rashad, they're not GameCube controllers. They're they're more. That's fine. <laughs> very, I forgive you. Very, very shitty third-party Nintendo Switch controllers because my parents love playing Mario Kart, you know, and. Already from the when I had a Nintendo sixty four, if I I would be going to school, uh, primary school, and I would come back during lunch break, and my parents would be playing Mario Kart against each other <laughs> on the couch. So it's always been kind of a thing that we do together. So um, hopefully uh, later this afternoon, uh, I'll, I'll play a few rounds of Mario Kart with my mom and dad and my uh, and my fiance here as well. So we got now four controllers. Um, so, so next time, Rashad, when you come over, you, we can bring another two individuals. No, I'm going to the States. I'm getting my Switch and my GameCube controllers and everything. So I'm bringing my own GameCube controllers next time. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, you can beat me, maybe. <laughs> Let's not go that far. <laughs> I'll see you online first. Maybe, you should, maybe you should, uh, we should launch a Twitch channel and you can uh, play on there. I'm not going <laughs> to object. <laughs> I remember this was a big deal at one point. Um, I forget what year it was. I think it was around the year Brawl came out. Um, my friend and I got these imported Japanese controllers from <laughs> these GameCube controllers with these extended cords. And it was just the highlight of my life at the time. I was just so <laughs> excited to get it's like, you know, you get it. And it's like, oh, my God, this is from Japan. It's the, like it's yeah. a little the entry is fat the button entry is faster it's gonna work it's just gonna like give me a competitive advantage against other people it's just uh you get into it so much you're like the uh the stockbrokers who are just uh you know uh seeing where they where they situate themselves in the room so that their transactions can be like a millisecond faster than everyone else's exactly Nice. <laughs> well, I think a big part of it, I don't know to what extent this is credible or not, but there was a technique in Melee called wave dashing, which required a, such a precise... It was actually technically a glitch in the game, and it was an alternative form of movement uh, as opposed to just walking across the screen. And it unlocked a significant amount of new techniques that could be, uh, you know, used by very, very skilled players and the milliseconds of input for each individual button that you'd have to press actually played a part in the evolution of wave and the proliferation of wave dashing in melee i mean sadly that has has gone to the wayside in subsequent uh generations of smash but a lot of people still harp on that being the ultimate skill in smash uh, yeah, that's really cool. So I never got enough into the melee, and you know, I I was too disconnected from uh, the online community, and I I, I stopped playing melee because I had no one else to play with. Uh, I suppose after like four years of the GameCube or something, so I never had that trajectory like you did. It's interesting because like for so many people, as you said, so Brawl and mm. uh, Smash Four, uh, those two came out for Wii and Wii U respectively. And they did the most, one of the most important things, and that's unlocking uh, Smash for the internet. Um, because GameCube had popularized it among, as you said, pockets of society around the world, but for the first time with these newer generations. Although critically, and among people who are fans of the series, those two games in particular were a lot less popular. 
they or a lot a lot less well received um, they you know took that next step and made it available for the internet and i think that's just changed the face of what it means to be a smash player and it's made it a lot more accessible for so many people and not just for people like me who had friends who were so much better and then i could sort of learn from the things that they were doing and just try to mimic them and fail miserably but at least you then understand the theories behind some of the game mechanics of melee so why were smash the third smash game and the fourth smash game so unpopular uh, in the community why why did they why weren't they received as well as the other ones well i think it's partly i i wonder to have to a certain extent if it's a deviance from the mechanics of melee uh, specifically with Brawl. A lot of people did not like things like Final Smashes, for example. Do they even have Final Smash in Ultimate? Yes, but it's one of those things. It's the first thing you turn off when you play with friends. <laughs> exactly. So one of the biggest actually marketing things of Brawl was, oh, look, we have this new Final Smash thing. It's amazing, for example. Um, I think they also got rid of... You know how when you're falling... This is very small detail. Sorry, Chris. Mm. So when you're falling and you kind of air dodge, you can air dodge to a certain side sometimes. Yeah, directional air dodge. Yeah, that was gone in Mel- in Brawl, I believe. And obviously, I think also the mechanics became a lot lighter. So the characters were less heavy, for example. So you would end up... They tried to have more aerial stuff, which is great, but it alienated a lot of the players who were much you know ground much more grounded in the combos that you needed to kind of bounce people up 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 and out of the stage essentially and a lot of these mechanics have been improved in subsequent generations so smash 4 was marginally better than brawl in terms of that and then ultimate was is just really really good in terms of the quality of the the play in placating those people who wanted to recapture the glory days of Melee and also enjoy the fun aspects of the variety of modern gaming. Hmm. So there's a lot of reasons I feel like that those two games were not special or were not well received. But if you look at just like the sales, for example, so um, Melee was the best selling game in all GameCube. Um, It sold about 7 million copies at the time. And... Brawl, built, building off the, the anticipation of having to wait seven years for a new Smash game, sold 13 million copies as it came uh, it, when it was released with the Wii. But with, I th- with the Wii U, it, you can see how badly it was received because only 5 million people uh, or 5 million copies of Smash 4 were actually sold. So you can see this just a drop off of how many people disliked Brawl and turn people off of the game and people actually i think the this is maybe just a theory of mine no it is a theory of mine is Mm -hmm. that the um unpopularity of brawl also led to exacerbating the nostalgia of melee so people actually liked melee and grabbed onto it even more because of the failures of brawl but also just to clarify in looking at sales numbers um, over you know, twenty million copies of Smash Ultimate have been sold, and it's it's like deemed as a critical, you know, success. And it is the best fighting. It is the most sold fighting video game of all time. Yeah, wow. that's amazing. And I don't think there's going to be quite a Smash game like Ultimate after Ultimate. I think the story is that Sakurai, who is the uh, person who uh, has been in charge of the development of all the Smash games 
who, by the way, is an interesting side story, is also the person who invented Kirby, the character. And do you know who Kirby is named after? Jack Kirby. No. Jack Kirby? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Well, there's a, there's a great documentary called, I think, High Score on Netflix, which is about the oh, history yeah. of video gaming. But in that video game, uh, in, in that documentary, they talk about that Nintendo had a big lawsuit uh, in the United States about some intellectual property or something. And they had a lawyer called John Kirby defending their case for them. And this is this bald pink guy. And when he won the case for Nintendo, um, they uh, honored him by naming a character after him. And allegedly, it's just a name reference. But if you look at Kirby and look at John Kirby, the lawyer, there's some other resemblances as well, is that they're also bald and pink. So there you go. That's the history of of Kirby. Um, But yeah, he... um, so, so Sakurai, he, he, he's been charged of developing all of the Super Smash Bros. Uh, series. And I believe before Ultimate came out, the uh, who used to be the boss of Nintendo, I think he passed away. And I think his last job that he gave to Sakurai was to make a new Smash Ultimate game. So in honor of him, he tried to make the perfect game. And therefore, they included every character that has ever been included in a Smash game, which is an absolutely insane effort to balance 85 characters so you don't have a character that actually rules all, which is also something that has been a bit of an issue, I think, perhaps in Brawl and 4, is that there were points in the game where there was clearly one character that was a lot better than all the others. Um, And they managed to kind of balance everything out. But he's also said, you know, we're not going to do this again future Smash games are going to have fewer characters than Ultimate because this was an insane uh, project to do. So yeah, we might be uh, stuck with Ultimate for the rest of our lives. I'm fine with that. It's a great game and it is really the culmination of the Star the series. I almost said Star Wars series. The, <laughs> is the culmination <laughs> of the, the, the series until now. So the question now is, Rashad, when is there going to be a Star Wars Smash Bros. crossover? Oh my god. (laughs) Rashad would lose his ship. Oh my god. I would spend 700 hours trying to figure out one of those characters. Any of those characters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that sounds so. I'm just like thinking to myself, like, give me Ahsoka in Smash. Or or even R2. I would love R2. Oh my god. Yes. (laughs) I can't wait. I don't think that'll ever happen. Uh, Just Disney and Nintendo. I don't know if they'll ever work together in that way. I could see that though, like Disney and Nintendo. Are there any other Disney characters in Smash at all? I don't think so. I don't think so. Or any Disney-owned IP? Let's see. Who? Who? What kind of video game characters does Disney own? Well, except the usual suspects. Um, what was uh, Kingdom Hearts? That was Sony. It'll be Sony. I think they'll cooperate with Sony before they would yeah. with uh because I think also uh Nintendo has worked with Universal Studios recently um to release their like films and stuff and then also they've built in their in Osaka in Universal Studios they've built a um like a Mario World, right? Mm. Um so like a Mario's theme park essentially in Universal Studios. So I think that they're tied more there and I I think if I think Disney sees Nintendo more as a competition than PlayStation or than a Sony, mm-hmm. um, so I would imagine that if they were to um, cooperate, it would be more of. Have, did you ever play the PlayStation All Stars Battle Royale game? No. It was essentially PlayStation's 
version of Smash where they took characters from all of its IP and pit, pit them together, pit them against one another in you know a fighting game. It was oh. it was kind of fun. Like you see Ratchet and Clank, or um, all these are Kratos, or these different characters, or even um, what's the name of the guy from uh, Uncharted? Drake. Yes, uh, Drake, or even the Bioshock. You see all these characters, and you can play oh. against each other. Um, I feel like with all the IP that Disney owns now, they can just make their own game with like Marvel and Disney and all that stuff. Uh, Marvel and uh, Star Wars and all that. Well, they do have the Marvel Capcom video games, but I don't mm, know if that yeah. that was released, if any have been released since Disney acquired Marvel. And if they <laughs> own even, do they just own Marvel film rights or they don't? Do they own Marvel video game rights? God, all these nuances are so hard to figure out sometimes. It was just one thing that, that crossed my mind a few times during this uh, conversation. I'll just get it out. It's just that, I mean, I'm not sure about you, Rashad, but I've, I've, I've played some other games online as well sometimes. And it's just another big difference between Super Mario Smash Brothers and other games that one might play. So I like playing Call of Duty sometimes with friends as well because my friends in the Netherlands really like playing it. It's one of my ways to stay in touch with them. Um, but the whole atmosphere of the gaming universe around Call of Duty and how gamers interact with each other, you know, where in Call of Duty, people will yell at each other and, and say the worst things that you can imagine. And I think it's really cool how Super Mario Smash Brothers, well, first of all, the whole atmosphere doesn't really allow for that kind of toxic behavior. But also in the Super Mario Smash Brothers game, you can't really communicate to each other in like in filthy language so after and before a game there's just fixed text messages that you can send to each other which are often very negative uh, but also just playing online you often feel like very there's very supportive behavior or very sportsman-like behavior towards each other when if you clearly fell off the stage by accident you often have the other player jumping off for you as well to make sure that everything is balanced out again or when you're clearly overpowering another player there's sometimes they try to show respect by um bowing and then slowly walking off the stage so it's just really cool that that the whole community around super smash bros is a lot more wholesome i suppose than you might see with other video games where you know you have often the stigma of, of the very toxic uh, gamer yeah which you don't have in smash bros as much so i think that's really nice that's something i just wanted to get out of my head <laughs> that's also very nintendo right yeah i think so too yeah just attracts a different type of person it's just i think it attracts a more kind person and it's i think it's more my vibe when it comes to video games competitiveness but respect and i've always liked nintendo and i've gravitated towards towards nintendo and playstation but it's just like if i had to choose one of the three i would always choose whatever nintendo consoles out except for the wii u i guess that was kind of miserable um so one thing that i was you know in your reference to smash ultimate and i think one of the things that will allow it to kind of stay for so long in addition to the fact that it is just such a massive undertaking is that you have now the online updates right you have new Mm -hmm. characters with dl you have dlc characters if a character seems too strong they nerf it for example, like, I mean, I remember I was really happy with Pichu in Smash Ultimate, and then they nerfed Pichu, and I was so sad that oh. it just wasn't as strong. So it's just little things like that that allow them to constantly adjust the game mechanics so they don't have to figure every single little thing out beforehand. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that is really makes a big difference. Um, and that makes you appreciate 
as well, like how good a game like Melee was, that they managed to balance it out quite well, even though not perfect, but it's a game you can't patch because it's not connected to the internet. And it was just a, maybe wasn't there a character Ice Climbers where you could do an infinite grab combo. So basically if you grab another person, if you know exactly how to press buttons in a certain way, you'll be able to kill the character right away yeah. just grabbing it. So that was broken and it was banned from tournaments and stuff. But otherwise... Fox also had a, another infinite combo. Oh, really? It must be even harder to, to execute. Or Yeah, that was really hard to execute. You basically have to like down B um, and then the knockback was so small that you can wave dash into the next down B essentially. And then mm. you can like wave dash around them and then you basically knock them continuously. Then easily... You know, it's an infinite combo, but it would require wave dashing, and it was kind of hard to execute for sure. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen videos of play people playing in, on a tournament, and they're playing uh, ice climbers. And every time the ice climber character grabbed the other person, the other person started shouting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Every time he was grabbed, he started shouting into the face of the other player to make him stop doing it. Uh, <laughs> It's very toxic, but it's also like, well, I can imagine it happens at Smash tournaments. Uh, well, I've never been at one, but yeah. Um, my question, I have one last question for you before we before we yeah. wrap up, if that's all right. And it's a, it's an important question. It is a very, very important question because you're being recorded. Um, <laughs> what are your top four Smash characters? Oh, what, my best ones? Your best ones or your favorite ones? God, that, that might be... Every, so the thing, every time I'm good with a character, you, you get in, like, Elite Smash, and then people are so good, I stop playing it because I'm afraid to get <laughs> out of Elite Smash. Um, but I think it's going to be Bowser. Okay. Is this an order or just any top four? All right, I'll give you uh, I'll give you an order then. All right. Well, my favorite one is probably Kirby, actually, which is interesting because Kirby is actually not considered to be a good character, but I really, really like Kirby. It's just the way that you can combo into your next attack from a down air into an up air and how everything really connects really nice into each other once you get your combos going. It's, it's really fulfilling, I think. And then I would say... I really loved, side note, I really loved our match last time when we played Jigglypuff versus Kirby. <laughs> a very oh. fun battle of the puffballs. Yeah, you rested me like twice or something in a, in a row in that game. It was really frustrating <laughs> how you managed it. I've never saw somebody do that to me. I've also never just played offline, you know. Uh, to be, I always play online because I have no other people to play with. Um, so let's see. Then I'd say Bowser is probably one of my favorites. It's just like, you can actually, Bowser is deceptively fast. You think like it's this log, it's the heaviest character in the game. It's really hard to knock him off the stage. Um, and when you deal very light damage to him, he actually doesn't have any kind of hit stun, so he can just walk through very light moves. So this just makes him really powerful. Feel he feels really big as well because of that mechanic and strong. Uh, but he's actually far more quick than a lot of people think he is. Um, and then I'd say um, maybe Zelda is one of my other favorites. It's a, a, online a very an annoying character to play with because he got a few attacks that come out really quickly, um, and uh, particularly her B special, uh, B neutral, is, is, is quite annoying. And I've been playing Yoshi recently again a lot. Oh, which Yoshi's I, so annoying! 
yeah <laughs> but it's again like it can down air you know can do like 30 percent damage or something if you hit it right and it has some combos uh forward tilt or up tilt and to up air um and uh, it's just it's just a very fun character to play with but my top four it changes all the time i've been playing greninja quite a bit as well uh you to uh roy i like as well pyramithra one of the new characters is really strong and i really enjoy playing with so this list is changing all the time and that's i suppose part of the fun of smash bros is there's so much to discover all the time exactly yeah and it is just such a malleable game and you can do so many things with it how about you what's your top four? Oh, my top four is yeah my top four is always quite e- i have a top five Wait, one, two, three, four. Yeah, I have a top five generally. And I think I can, because of how they've adjusted one of the characters in Ultimate, I will probably take one off. Um, my top four is always like Jigglypuff, Pichu, Ice Climbers, and Young Link. Um, and the t- fifth one is Luigi. But Luigi right. has uh, been ruined by Ultimate in my mind. So I have to drop Luigi from this. I tend to like characters that are just like... they. A, they were in melee. <laughs> yeah. um, B, they are just kind of silly and not too serious, right? Um, the only the ser- the most serious of those characters is Young Link, and even then, he's not that serious of a character. Um, yeah. And I also tend to like smaller characters. I am not a fan in, in any like in any Mario game. So even Mario Kart, I don't like the bigger characters, even though they're technically better. Um, mm. But I just. And even when I'm driving, I prefer a coupe to an SUV. <laughs> Just want to be small. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see now that on my my top four is also awesome, all melee characters. Kirby Bowser's out of the Yoshi, which is why I have uh, visceral responses to some of them, especially Yoshi. <laughs> I don't have a top four, guys. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> That's fine, Chris. We forgive you. Well, thank you so much, Yost, for joining. Yeah, I really appreciated it. Um, it was a great, great to have you on, and great to talk about a video game that uh, you and I care about so much. And it's you know just a fun way to get into not only the specific video game, but video games in general. And as you said, it is an ode to video game history. So, in within one video game, you can connect to so so many things that have meant so much to so many people, and. Yeah, it's just a great medium to talk about and just a fun thing. So thank you for joining us at The Weekly Hook. All right. Thanks so much for having me. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars. If you don't like the show, what? Why are you still listening? Five stars. If you want to get in touch, there are a few ways you can do that. Email. Write us an email to hello at seriallyhooked.com. Website. You can check out our website and suggest future topics at seriallyhooked.com. Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at seriallyhooked. If you like the show, tell a friend or 10. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. It makes a difference and helps people discover the show. Thanks. Fuck, I fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so mad at myself. Fine. It's fine. You were so it smooth. You were so smooth. <laughs> so close. If you hate oh, it, did I'm... we lose you, Yost? Oh, am I still oh, we here? Lost him. Oh, Great. No. oh, no. Can you hear me now? Well, no. Now, you're, now your connection is perfect. I don't know what you did, but... Don't move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
I was just looking outside of the window. I did. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> I will. I'll stare into the rain. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't know, guys, should we wrap this up or do you have like a lot more things to say about... <laughs> Chris is ready to leave. <laughs> <laughs>